Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob show. Uh, It is great to be with you uh, this first week of February here in the great nation's capital, Washington, D.C., a.k.a. There's a lot of names for it. I'm going to avoid giving names because a lot of them, quite honestly, are are mean. I got one for you. How about the, the home of the brand new Washington Commanders? Okay, let's get to that. I want to first say... Uh, let me hold on. I'm my name. I need people need to know who's talking to them right okay, now. What if fair. someone, Sorry. what if someone just tuned in, turned this on, downloaded, subscribed, and are like, Will and Rob, who are they? Why should I care? Maybe <laughs> you shouldn't, even after I say who I am and <laughs> is my co host. <laughs> the point is that it's nice to introduce yourself to people. And so, uh, my name is Will Stockdale, Ministry Associate with the Ministry to State, Ministry of the PCA here in Washington, D.C. Here, as always, with my very good friend, co-host, colleague, sports commentator, Robert <laughs> Hassler, a.k.a. Bert. Um, he is the comms director of Ministry to State, among other things and other, other hats that he wears. Some of them are bowler hats. Some of them are top hats. Some of them are just regular old baseball hats. It doesn't, you know, it just... All I do shapes. everything around here. Oh my goodness gracious. And so uh, we're excited. Glad to be with you. We got some stuff we want to talk about. I want to talk about, uh, go back to the first amendment, more we'll talk about freedom of speech and um, some stuff that's in the news and just kind of, just kind of talk a little bit about what we're seeing, what we're thinking and, and what does the church have to do with um, probably stuff you're watching on the news. Uh, but in addition, big news has come out. Big news has come out in terms of uh, one of the, the big, three sports in DC uh, hockey, no offense, but I don't think it's quite as big as basketball, baseball, and football in this town. But uh, the, the, the Washington football team has a new name, Robert. There's a new name, the Washington commanders. Commanders. That's right. What do you think about it? How do you feel about the Washington commanders? And this, this is a safe space. This is a safe space. You can say what you want. I, I was, I thought it was terrible. I, Here's the, I look, I heard the name and I'm like, what is there another name in the NFL that sounds anything like that? And the answer I came up with was no. And then I was like, well, what does it sound like? And it's like, it sounds like an XFL team. And then I saw lo and behold, that it is the name of an XFL team, the San Antonio commanders. Oh, well, there you have it. That's why it sounds so familiar. Good, good. Snooping on that <laughs> we one. All, all of these big San Antonio Commanders fans, like at last we've made it to the big leagues. That's incredible. I didn't know that. Um, but you're you're right about the XFL thing. It, everything feels branded like for the XFL. Even like the new W looks like an XFL logo. It's just weird. Well, and I listened to an interview. It um, it may have been the owner who was talking, and he was like you know, our jackets on the front, it's the W that represents it's, it's the forward new logo of where we're going. And the back is kind of a look of where we've come from. And, and I was like, no one's buying this and, and, and this like <laughs> attempt at like this poetic metaphorical jacket they're wearing, I thought was just super silly. And, and also it's, it look it looks like the Mer- Maryland flag. Like yeah. it, it actually is more akin to Maryland. And then they're trying to say, well, we're, we're a team for the DMV. And it's like, you kind of stuck your flag, staked your flag in a, in a different state though, buddy. I know. Yeah. To me, like 
I would have gone if 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 the Washington football team had hired me as its marketing and uh, branding manager. I don't, don't know why think, they didn't. Don't yeah, don't think we didn't think this would have been a good idea. That it was, was low hanging fruit for them. But the I would have gone now since they can no longer be the Redskins. What I would have done was I would have kept I would have actually kept Washington football team because it sounds kind of like old school, like you know like team names before there were actual like mascots. I would have kept that. And then I would have actually uh, kept a lot of the the stuff that they had in the interim, particularly the numbers on the helmets. I thought that was a real slick move. I thought it was really cool. There's no other team in the NFL does that. It gives you good Bama vibes. I was kind of a fan of the the old school numbers on the helmet. It's like it's like why do the Yankees not need to have names on the back of their jerseys? Exactly. Exactly. Because everyone knows who was number two. Like. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter exactly. yeah so the washington commanders it's going to be hard to get excited about a washington commanders dallas cowboys rivalry game i don't know why um but we'll see we'll see if it if it if, if it works out for them i mean we would love to hear from you if there were any names you thought would have worked listener that you would have preferred to put in instead of this terrible name commanders let us know but I mean, uh, there, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why the generals wasn't chosen. That would have made a lot more sense to me. Yeah, that one, that one works. I know one that was really popular for a while that kind of got floated out there or teased out there was Red Wolves, which I'm kind of okay with, honestly, because it sort of fits more with like um, uh, one, the sort of like old sort of country rule Virginia side of things. Um, it kind of, I don't know. It just kind of fits that sort of like that when you get a little bit outside into like the Potomac area, when it's like a lot more rule, I kind of would have liked the red wolves. I think it was, I think it was a pretty good pick, but whatever. for another time we'll have to ask which is better or worse Washington <laughs> commanders or the Cleveland guardians. Oh yeah. Did the guardians, did they get, actually get to keep that team name or did they buy it out from the, the roller derby team? Cause that was the big controversy. Oh my gosh. I haven't, <laughs> I don't know. I hope the roller, <laughs> roller derby team won that though. <laughs> I'm rooting for the little guy on that, but that's not why we're here. Although we could go all day on this and we're sorry for making you suffer with this, but we haven't had a chance to talk about this and it's uh, it's clearly something, but uh, what we did want to talk about was this conversation about um, something you've probably seen in the news. So Joe Rogan, who is, you know, probably heard of him, huge podcaster on Spotify, gets He's got a little m- show on Spotify. You might little show on spot gets millions and millions of millions of listeners every week. Uh, he brings in people from a wide spectrum of uh, topics and, and different sides of the issues and discusses with them. Uh, well, he has had some uh, questionable people on talk about COVID and has said some things that has received a lot of pushback from certain people in his comments about COVID. And um, in response to this, the singer uh, Neil Young um, ended up threatening it's either, you know, keep my music or keep Joe Rogan on on your platform. And Spotify's like, I mean, we just paid <laughs> Joe Rogan $100 million to be on our platform and we're making money. So no, sorry, Neil. And so Neil pieces out and then Joni Mitchell follows and other musicians have threatened to do the same. Um, 
And then there's also some issues going on with Whoopi Goldberg right now. Um, I think another angle to this is Jeff Zucker resigning from CNN. Um, and I guess what we want to want to talk about is like, what is this idea of the public square as in for, for a public, we need to have a place where we can discuss and communicate with one another about ideas that are held in common or disagreed upon. And, uh, this has been happening for a while, but it has increased recently as the public square has moved from being an actual physical location to taking place online. And I think we're seeing some of the impact and fallout of the public square existing in a, in a non-material, non-physical place. And so with that in mind, Robert, just want to tee it up to you. So as you fill in any gaps that I left out, first of all, and kind of what you see as an issue here, um, and then we can discuss it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit it on the head with the whole, um, it used to be a physical place and now it's happening online. And the thing is, is that that discussion online is mediated and facilitated by private entities, um, whether that's social media companies like Twitter or Facebook uh, or an organization like Spotify. Uh, obviously, you have Google involved there as well. Um, and so... Uh, what you actually have is a sort of a privatization of the public square. And those private parties have biases. Um, they slant a certain way. Um, I, I know that uh, Zuckerberg has really, I think, taken some proactive steps to try to brand himself as this sort of uh, free speech absolutist, uh, more libertarian uh, style leader. But um uh, particularly in contrast with someone like Jack Dorsey on Twitter, but it's just very clear that um, all of these companies are, are biased certain ways um, and are going to prohibit or limit certain speech uh, on their platforms. Some of that is like is more risk management than it is maybe ideological reasons. Um, I think a lot of the banning that happens on Twitter is probably ideological, whereas you know some of the things like Spotify you know, clearly are operating with the idea of, well, what, what best helps our bottom dollar. Um, and the problem with all of that is that it just doesn't do well for facilitating uh, difficult conversations, particularly conversations that challenge the, the status quo or the establishment or the, or the sort of current regime. Um, and probably nothing has, has uh, exemplified this more than, than COVID. Um, and that's probably why Joe Rogan is, is under the, the amount of scrutiny that he is. I mean, um, in, did you watch his apology video? I saw part on of Instagram? it. One of the one of the points that he makes, I actually think is really important, which is that things that were labeled conspiracy theories, you know, eight months ago, twelve months ago, are now basically established fact, um, either tacitly by the CDC now sort of approving, you know, and and proving those those claims with data. Or just sort of implicitly things that no longer go challenged, uh, something like the lab leak theory that was that was uh, at first the sort of dangerous conspiracy theory, and then now you know John Stewart's been on the Colbert show to basically say the exact same thing and got a bunch of laughs for it. So you know we're at we're at that point of of the debate. But the the problem is why why was that not a uh, a public why was that not a, a publicly approved debate to happen in the public square, you know, eight, 12 months ago. Um, and I think that really provides uh, a lot of problems uh, for 
other issues as we think about, uh, you know, the Whoopi Goldberg thing about how we discuss uh, these sort of sensitive topics of, of uh, racism and, and uh, uh, policy that promotes racism. I mean, all this kind of stuff has to have a public square in order for it to happen. We just don't have a true public square anymore. It's now a privatized one. Yeah, I think when you're able to have these um, conversations publicly and in person, and again, not held within, because any any medium platform app is going to be seeking to monetize and make a profit off of this. And so that works as long as nobody gets upset and no one threatens to pull out and lose money. And I think it's even different. Like, let's say a comparison would be like, let's say you have a theater somewhere and one night you have a theater company that hosts so-and-so speaker and everybody goes in and hears it and you get the opposite person and they hate each other. Well, I don't really imagine a context in which uh, one of the other speakers says, well, I'm never going to go to that theater and speak because they, they allowed this guy to be there. It's like, no, that's, that's the place where you have the conversation when it's Spotify and it's different, they're trying to coexist at the same time slot. And when there ends up being this kind of disagreement, um, there's a seek to de-platform. And with Neil Young, I think there's other issues with, with like his anti-science kind of stuff in the past that's come out as a response. Um, but instead of like allowing or even like maybe encouraging Joe Rogan to have different perspectives on or something that could be productive. There's a, there's a threat to just completely get this guy kicked out of the conversation. And um, ultimately I think the big thing is um, this isn't, this isn't a healthy way to go forward to try to get someone just completely kicked out and removed whenever you disagree with their ideas. Well, like part of the idea of seeking truth is that there's going to be, you know, um, different debates and and conversations that sort of facilitate that's that inquiry of that seeking the truth um, and so you need people to sort of provide counterpoints counter examples counter arguments in order to for the truth to really kind of come out and be revealed um, and so you actually need people that are willing to stand up publicly and say well I don't know I look at this data I look at this example how does that fit with what the you know the the narrative is um, is it, does it support it? Does it challenge it? How can we go about, you know, searching for truth here? Um, the problem is that that takes a lot of time. And usually what it also takes is it takes some people kind of being left with egg on their face where they have to admit, oh, I was wrong. I didn't see, I didn't see this thing. This was a good, this was a very good counter argument. And let's go forth from here. Um, it's much easier if you're, if you're sort of worried about looking wrong, if you're worried about standing, you know, leave, being left with egg on your face, it's much easier just to say that person is dangerous and like, let's work together to de-platform them, de-platform them, get them off our site. Um, uh, and I think this has to go with the fact that in particularly right now, I do think that um, whether you want to call it the establishment or if you want to call it the, the ruling elite or if you want to call it the, the experts, uh, I know that's maybe a better term, um, I do think that that group feels particularly threatened at this time, uh, whether that's uh, because of political reasons, economic reasons, um, what have you. There's just it just seems that there's a little bit more of a uh, edge, or a little bit more of a um, 
more willing to put their guard up on things, I guess is, is a good way of saying it, that um, they don't, they don't want to keep looking as if they've gotten all these things wrong. Uh, and so there's just going to be a stronger challenge against the people who, who challenge them. Um, I think that's kind of also what we're seeing uh, is just a lot of institutions that feel vulnerable, that feel threatened. Uh, and so they're going to maybe act a little bit more extreme uh, than they normally would in different circumstances. And, you know, another side of this that we um, mentioned earlier on and then come back to here is uh recent Whoopi Goldberg situation with the view where she was on the show and she's the, the topic of the Holocaust came up, I think because of the book mouse by art Spiegelman that was recently banned by a Tennessee school board. And um, she said, Whoopi Goldberg says the Holocaust is not about race. And then joy Behar. So what do you mean? The Nazis thought that Jews were an inferior race. And she goes, no, it was not about race. It was about, man's inhumanity towards man and she ended up apologized walking it back and made a very clear statement she has since been suspended for two weeks you know her comments are so weird to me and and so like nonsensical it like they're they're wrong first of all like that's it's patently false what she said uh they're ignorant also of of facts but then it's also really weird what she said. Like it wasn't about race; it was about inhumanity of man towards man. It's like, wait a second. So, are you suggesting that racism isn't inhumane? That like to like like if someone were doing on race, is that a different level? What is that? And I think what it showed was that she thought that uh, I think what came out. Correct me if I'm wrong, Robert. Was that because Jews were white as well that it couldn't be about race? Which is again really confusing and strange because if you just look at the history of America uh, in the 19th century and um, I guess early 20th century, you have, you have racism of uh, uh, Scots um, English against like Italians. Uh, More people Irish. need to see gangs in New York. Right. right. <laughs> Gosh, I wouldn't. I <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that her comments were super um, were ignorant and, and wrong and she shouldn't have, said them but what's interesting to me about the comments was that and why she got suspended was that she didn't say that the holocaust wasn't bad like clearly she said it was inhumane so clearly the holocaust is bad she didn't say that it didn't have she's not a crazy holocaust denier so um and i i apparently jonathan greenblatt who's uh, head of the anti-defamation league went on and one commentator i think this was talking about greenblatt said that he uh, took a line from Nick Cannon, which is that um, instead of cancel culture, we need counsel culture, which might sound a little therapeutic, but I think there's something too. And said, hey, let's talk about why that's wrong rather than cancel someone. And again, like I said, Holocaust was a horrible thing. Make sure everyone hears that. And, and she was flat out wrong. It is about racism. But I think she was just so off and like m- misunderstood what was going on. I don't think that she was at all downplaying the seriousness of it. And so- I'm I'm just not sure I fit where I land on like the suspension of her at this time. I, I again I'm not trying to minimize anything. Um, I'm just wondering what is the best way for this to happen because then then the cynical side of me might come out and say like, well, look, should be suspended for two weeks and then just come back and like, what's changed? Like, uh, what what magically happens over two weeks? It seems just like a little yeah. slap on the wrist rather than an actual like repair that could happen. Yeah, this one is, people use the term cancel culture and it applies to so many different things. And I I think one thing that we have to just be very um, 
careful about is being able to be honest and recognizing that people get people get canceled for different reasons. So you have to really look at particular cases. And so, you know, look at the case of someone like um, uh, an Al Franken, you know, for example, I know he was sort of considered a, a victim of cancel culture. Well, he was, he was obviously participating in very inappropriate, you know, quasi illegal activity, um, especially as it relates to uh, how he was treating his, his female uh, coworkers. That is a much different thing than saying an ignorant and even a hateful uh, thing. The, the fact of the matter is that in the United States, we don't have speech laws like they have in the UK or other European countries. And so um, that's a much different thing. I know, you know, a lot of people will talk about how, uh, you know, I remember when when the whole Ravi Zacharias stuff was coming out, you know, people were talking about cancel culture then. It's like, well, that's a much different instance that we're talking about. There's a difference between sort of quote unquote canceling in a, in a pejorative sense and holding uh, people you know, accountable. Um, I think with the Whoopi Goldberg thing, all that being said, I think the thing with the Whoopi Goldberg incident is that um, what, yeah, what you said, what she said was wrong and, and ignorant and, you know, I think it's, I think it's safe to say, you know, bigoted or even maybe even. Well, I don't, um, it was nonsense. I mean, it was, it was straight up nonsensical. I, I right, but I, I can, I can see how um, uh, uh, Jew, the Jewish community would take offense at the statement and, um, or see it as, as minimizing the incidents of the Holocaust, regardless of how we all feel about it uh, individually. Um. I think the thing, though, is that what she said was perfectly legal in the context that there's free speech laws in this country. Um, and I don't like the idea of the suspension because um, what it does is suspensions are now becoming substitutes for like you, you, you called it like the counseling kind of thing. Like they're becoming substitutes for sort of like public apologies and like restitution and repentance, if that makes sense. And hmm. forgiveness. That's another big aspect of this is the opportunity to forgive people. Um, and so what typically happens in these situations is somebody says something that, you know, rubs people the wrong way or, or, you know, draws ire. And then in order to sort of save face, the, the platform or the company will suspend somebody for an, you know, a certain period of time. And then when they return, it's almost like the end of it. We just kind of move on. Um, and I'm worried that Whoopi Goldberg will come back two weeks later and there won't be any discussion of the of the reason why she was suspended. It'll sort of be penance as in, OK, you, you've suffered the consequences, but they're not really consequences because I doubt she's not getting a paycheck. I doubt, you know, she's going to lose her place on the view, you know, all these things. Um, and what, whereas as a society, as a uh, group uh, of people that witnessed this event, this event, it would when we be better off. If a couple of days later, Whoopi Goldberg was in these conversations with somebody, you know, from uh, the anti-defamation, you know, group, or you know, having, you know, uh, somebody who's a, a who's an ancestor of a Holocaust survivor uh, to talk about those comments, and giving opportunities to both, you know, explain, talk, discuss, understand, apologize, and then forgive, those seem to those would seem to me would be much more uh, proactive steps. Uh, of fixing these kind of things, but I, I just don't see how suspensions really get us there. Yeah. And, and then as I'm sitting here, I'm wondering, okay, so what is a justifiable reason to terminate someone's contract or employment? Like, 
what would she have needed to say? Because there are certain things where I would say, look, you have forfeited the right to be on this show. And that is not cancel culture. I think those are consequences for actions that we have. And so like, what would, what would she have said about the, I don't necessarily want to use, but I certainly think there were things that she got, maybe she crossed it. Maybe she should have been fired, you know? Um, but, you know, there, there, I like what you said, there needs to be room for forgiveness in these situations as well, regardless uh, a sense of humility also to change one's mind on both sides. Um, she's made a public comment since then and apologized and, and completely done a 180 on her comments, which is good. Um, so maybe that should be sufficient. I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to think more, look at what the Jewish community says and how they respond. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate like the difference between something like this and like something like um, an Al Franken, or even uh, I think another case that you brought up, well, the Zucker case at CNN, right? Like um, the sort of, apology forgiveness uh route would be inappropriate in the case of al franken because what he did was was criminalized we've we've criminalized that behavior right there we have a justice system set up to handle these sorts of incidences and then something like with zucker right what you have is is uh behavior and activity that actually compromises his role as in his role in his job like he cannot be trusted to be a uh, an unbiased, you know, news source if you're having affairs with with certain uh, parties and and people. You know what I mean? It's just, it's the there are certain things that that then forfeits your right to sort of uh, have that role or to have that platform. Um, and those I just want to be really clear that those are very different cases than somebody saying something that sort of raises eyebrows or shocks people uh, on the set of a, of a talk show, a show that is designed and built around the idea of debating and talking about things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if, if someone is a perpetrator of, um, I mean, yeah, here's the deal. Just because something is immoral doesn't mean it's illegal. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's moral. And there are plenty of cases where there are things that are legal in this country that are immoral and we would be better off if they weren't like, just because pornography is legal in this country doesn't mean companies are justified in, in dis, uh, disseminating it uh, right. out. So in the same, just because something is legal to say, doesn't mean that it should be uh, permitted. It's, it's the question I think we're trying to figure out here is what's the line? What's the, what's the right way to respond to um, ignorant, immoral, bigoted comments that, um, you know, may have been made that were made and how do we um, promote a dialogue and a discussion? And um, the church, we certainly have disagree with each other. I think one funny instance here that we mentioned as we we're talking uh, offline was, Tish Harrison Warren's piece that was in the New York times. that just got her absolutely just people flipped out over it for writing about meeting in person again. And I saw someone who said, wait, an Anglican wants to be Anglican. Like, wait, she <laughs> theologically values in-person worship. Like, yeah, like she, she has a good reason for this. She's, she's not a crazy person for, for encouraging people to want to meet in person. Again, you can disagree with her. But um, 
to 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 villainize someone over something like that is just not the right way forward. And I'm afraid that um, outrage is dominant here. And there's that song by John Mayer, uh, "Rage in the Age of Worry." We, we like to say it's the age of outrage, but I think honestly, what it is more before that is that we live in an age of worry and an age of anxiety. And I think that outrage is a, is a symptom of an uns of a of a latent um, anxiety of a of a base of of worry that we have of what might happen if not everyone is completely in agreement and accord on the same page. Everything could fall apart, and so we we outrage and get angry because of because of anxiety, worries, fears that we have. Um, and that's not going to be solved by silencing people or, or yelling them into submission. Um, it's just going to get tighter and tighter fisted. So we have to deal with this problem of worry, figure out what's at the root of it. And then how do we resolve it? Yeah. Not to, I mean, I don't want this to go into a sort of, you know, down with the snowflake sort of thing, but I, I part of the anxiety that I see, and I, I experience even myself is I, I feel like people are just way less sure than in previous times of who they are and what they were made for and what, what they're to be doing. I mean, part of the anxiety is um, we're so anxious about our own identities that we perceive uh, any sort of even innocuous comment as somehow a threat or an attack on that identity, uh, typically if it's a self-constructed one. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's part of it. We're just less sure of ourselves. And so we're not really able to handle um, anything we perceive as criticism. I just think that that's, that's part of this anxious age that you're talking about. And I don't want that to sound like I'm, um, you know, some guy going ranting about the, the snowflakes, but there, there is something about, you know, how we went from having universities and, and um, places of higher education where really controversial topics could be debated and discussed um, uh, without the need of, you know, uh, uh, administrators and counselors and all these kind of extracurricular uh, vocations that are now required on public uh, universities and college campuses these days. Um, and I think that that part of it is that we've, we've self-constructed all of our identities um, and we just can't, we can't handle criticism. We can't handle um, any sort of uh, 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 perceived slight against them. Uh, I think that's a, you want to respond to that? No, I think that's a good word. I think that's a good, it reminds me of Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self and what happens when we do have constructed realities and the demand that puts on other people to acknowledge and confirm what we have said about ourselves Whereas a pre-modern idea, um, an idea that goes back before, um, maybe blame Descartes. Let's just blame Descartes. It's easy enough to blame Descartes. <laughs> um, before that, where identity is something that was given to us. It was something that was given by God. And it turns out that we are in desperate need of uh or at least a baseline of an identity that is something given to us. There are certain things that can change certain things that we do. Um, maybe reputations that get created or images that we have of ourselves or careers, you know, but there, are, um, there, are, there is a baseline, a foundation of things that are given to us as an identity that we 
that that therefore have certain responsibilities on us. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I think we we have lost that. I think as Christians, we need to remember that and go back to that. And I think in terms of what is our what what's identity that all man has in common? What is an identity that Christians share with each other? What is an identity that Christians share with others? Um, what is true? And then I think we can hopefully have these conversations in a little more helpful way, hopefully in public, because I think what we're seeing, just take this back to the beginning, is that trying to <clears throat> think that we can solve all these problems, and this is funny enough to say on a podcast, but solve all these problems through podcasts is just silliness. Um, it's not going to happen. They're, they're going to have to happen by in-person conversations with each other, um, listening. Shared life together. I shared mean, life together. Yeah. Uh, communities and neighborhoods and um yeah, there's room for other things, but it's it's not going to happen when all these silos exist. No, I think you're exactly right. And I think what you've just stated, everything that you just said is a reason why Christians should not take for granted and in fact defend jealously free speech rights um, and should and should pursue and promote a healthy, open public square because a lot of what you just said, challenges the status quo, challenges the um, established norms that we live in today. Um, In fact, probably a couple of those things would get you canceled on most platforms. Luckily, we're not going to cancel you on the Will and Rob show. You're you're safe, Will. I think those, I I can handle the dangerous things that you've just said, Mm -hmm. but let me say, I want to, okay. Recommended read this upcoming, the coddling of the American mind by Haidt and Lukanoff. He talks about it's interesting. So I just saw this on um, Meet the Press on Sunday. He, uh, Chuck Todd looks at the um, concern, growing concern more students have on campuses about freedom of speech. And what's interesting is that we're, around 2012, Height looks at the way that um, a social media generation started coming to college, and with this, a whole bunch of very sensitive. Um, very fragile students started coming who became very, very, uh, just very, very tuned to finely tuned and, and sensitive to any kind of slight. And that led to a whole bunch of campus protests, a whole bunch of cancellations, all this stuff. But it seems now after that time of about 10 years, you have a new generation of college students, a couple of generations moved of students who are coming on campus, seeing what this has brought about. Like the fact that these behaviors the last 10 years have super restricted everybody's ability to talk and converse and actually share ideas. There's a growing concern among college students about administrative restrictions on freedom of speech. I think that's really interesting. Just think about Height's book and, and what he'd said and how he'd make these observations that it, it was unsustainable. The idea of like overly restricting speech will not, it, it will explode uh, because people are going to notice this is really bad for everybody. Uh, no one's benefiting this and college students want to learn and they want to engage. And so I think it's a, a, somewhat of a promising change. We'll see what happens, but at least there's some surveys out there pointing to that. Well, that's good. That's encouraging. Um, and I, I just think that Christians, because of what we believe, because of what we believe, because of what we believe is such a, you know, threat to um, the world and to um, the powers that be, you know, to be, I do think that uh, we should jealously defend uh, free speech rights, not just for ourselves, but for, for, for others as well. You know, it's, it's sort of related to religious freedom um, in that, you know, 
I share a lot of views about things like sex and identity with my um, Muslim neighbor. Um, we don't agree on, on a lot of things, uh, but on those things we agree. And uh, I, I want free speech rights and religious freedoms for him uh, uh, and for myself as well, um, because, I, because, we're, because we believe in at least that truth, right? Um, Gosh, so, that spoken like a true American. I know, right? right That's there. what I'm trying to be. You know, I, it's so funny, like, you know, things, things always come in, in sort of, they, they swing back and forth, right? The pendulum always swings. And um, in the last couple of years, maybe since 2016 and, and the Trump election, you know, there has been this hard swing to the post-liberal uh, right um, of things that, you know, the, the, the movement on the conservative side of things have looked at, you know, post-liberal options because the sort of the perceived failures of liberalism, uh, see Patrick Deneen's why liberalism failed, for example. Uh, but there are things we should, we should always sort of keep that with a, uh, with a grain of salt, because there are things that were won in uh, the American heritage under uh, our founding and our founding documents and, and quote unquote, small L liberalism that are worth protecting and worth guarding. Um, and I think religious toleration is a great example of one of these things. Um, of course, the way that we perceive religious toleration today is much different than how it was perceived in the, in the 18th century, but there's a lot of shared similarities there. Um, and those were, those were liberties uh, and freedoms uh, worth fighting and dying for, as our founding fathers believed, and uh, they're worth defending today um, for all, for all uh, religious peoples. And so um, that's kind of how I would end that and why Christians should care about this issue. All right. Well, well, let's land it here. I think we've gone for quite long enough, Robert. I think that we have, we have, we have seriously. Have we solved all the problems? Have we solved all the, the issues? I, I think so. I feel you like. You said podcasts can't, can't fix everything, but people have not, not enough people have clearly not listened to. Look, Robert. listener, this is in your hands. <laughs> we've, we've given you all the tools that, that we can on this one topic. And so if things aren't better by next week, we know where to look. We know, <laughs> we know where to go. So, well, thanks. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Follow Robert at RD Hassler. You can follow me at Stockdale Will. Check out ministrytostate.org for uh, devotionals and resources. Uh, also, like and subscribe. Uh, go ahead and like and subscribe to this. Pass it along to your friends. Uh, send us a uh, slide into our DMs. Let us know what you think. And we look forward to being back with you next week.